1: Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. This show is about people who have done just that. They never gave up, no matter what. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show where people can share their stories, because I firmly believe that everybody has a story. And when we share our stories, we help other people. Sometimes our story helps people from the other side of the world, and sometimes it might help a neighbor or a friend who didn't even know that about us. And so it is important to realize we all have value in our stories and what we have learned in this journey called life. Some of my guests have survived incredible circumstances, and as a result... Each one of them has a passion to help others. I hear that with every single guest. Because of what I went through, I want to be able to help somebody else. Some have survived extreme poverty or disease or abuse. Some have had to overcome serious depression, suicidal uh, attitude, any number of things that is debilitating. And they've had to learn how to survive. And as a result, they share those tips and those encouraging stories with others. And that's what this show is a platform for, to give you the opportunity as listeners. Because without you guys, we wouldn't have a show. And I appreciate my listeners in over 140 countries now, all over the world, people looking for the same hope. The subject of hope is international. So thank you, and today is no exception. We have a gal with us today who has, I would like to say a unique story, but as I mentioned earlier, everybody has a story, and each one is unique. But in all the years, which is now five years that I have been interviewing people, I have never interviewed a person with multiple personality disorder. And I am so happy to have the opportunity to interview Irene McCain-Turner today for that reason. And she is not going to only share what she went through and what her life was like as a result of that disorder, but how she was able to turn her life around. And now her passion is to help other people who may be going through this or who may know someone. Irene was finally diagnosed with multiple personality disorder after a whole lifetime of mystery about who she was and why she was suffering. And I know people are going to relate to her story for that very reason. This is not a subject we hear a lot about. But with people who have lived through the pain of not knowing who they are, It's a very real subject that needs to be addressed and we need to be made aware of. So I welcome Irene McCain-Turner. Hi, Irene. Hi. Hi, Carol. Oh, I'm so excited. I just have goosebumps to think how much you're going to share with us today. I can't wait to hear your story. I know you have, have written a book and we'll talk about that as well. But in the beginning, before we get into um, the disorder per se, in your memoir, you share your abusive childhood. And I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that this may have been a contributing factor. So could you share a bit about that and how you coped with that?
2: It was a very big factor. And, okay. and I must say that. Too many people uh, think that childhood is just a happy time that you go through. I began uh, very, very early thinking that I was totally different, and I'll explain that in just a minute. And part of, partly because of that, I, I developed coping mechanisms uh, by burying um I was born to my mother who was not married um, right, at, during, right at the beginning of the second world war and um, she made the decision or actually her mother made, helped her make the decision to stay with her mother until I was born and uh, mother was a very um, intelligent person but she had very little common sense. Um, Fast forward just a couple months, she just could not cope with being a mother, and so she actually left, so I felt abandoned. My grandmother insisted that I stay with her, although my uncle and aunt had wanted to adopt me. And so some people have said that perhaps my early abuse started by my grandmother totally unintentional. She thought she was doing the right thing, but in reality, it helped to underscore my feeling of being different. I didn't have a father, and interestingly, I did not know who he was until very much later in my life. Uh, My mother abandoned me. And I lived with my grandmother in a little tiny town in the deep south. My grandmother worked in a textile mill. It was the custom to almost all the people in that little community who worked to have a maid to come in and do the cooking and care for their children. And so I had such a caretaker, and I think in retrospect, she thought she was doing the right thing, but she only added to my sense of feeling unworthy and unloved because she actually physically abused me by giving me harsh beatings and making me go out into the backyard and cut down a switch from our peach tree so she could switch me. I grew grew up feeling abandoned and unloved and even though all my physical needs were cared for, I was never hungry, I was never not clothed well. But I just felt unloved. And it carried over till well, until my adult life and but it started As a baby, actually, I was told over and over again how my mother didn't love me. And you have to understand that there was in the Deep South when there was such a stigma attached to unwed mothers, even though they sort of whispered about it rather than talking about it. Classmates in school knew that my circumstances were different, and, and, and so even though I, I was, to an outsider looking on, had a fairly normal school life, it was very painful. I was ostracized, but I, I developed the um, need to show, uh, to give people what I thought they needed. So I identified myself, not by who I was, but for what I could give, and tried so hard to please everybody, and yet could not do that. My mother lived, stayed with her mother, my grandmother, and I wanted so much to be a part of that love, as I understood later, but my mother... Looked at me, I think, as an infant, not to love and cuddle and, and just love, but oh my goodness, what have I done? And, and so I firmly believe that even as an infant, um, people, children, babies can feel abandoned. And it begins even that early to make an impact on their life. Who am I? And you come up with the answer. I don't deserve
1: anything. You made an incredible statement there because fortunately, I believe that today we're more aware of that than we were in your generation and my generation, you know, when people were not aware of the impact that our actions had on our, the small children.
2: And it's so important, Carol. And I fear that in this particular generation, we're slipping badly. Even though we lip service it, we don't really spend time and love and cuddle these little babies and young, young children.
1: In this day and age where parents are working, both of them, and they have so many obligations and there's so many activities that it definitely has an impact i believe on the child i am
2: i am absolutely convinced that that's where my feeling of insecurity and abandonment
1: began you became a single mom so you you married and did you did you get that love when you married and did you feel like now you finally have arrived or share a little bit about that scenario
2: That was a really difficult part of my life, obviously. I loved my husband very much. And yet, I discovered pretty soon after we were married that he was not a selfish, but a self-absorbed person. And it coupled with my desire to be whatever a person that I was with needed to supply all his needs and to make my, my life um, far less important. So I ended up doing everything he wanted to do. Like he, we were married and he was working and suddenly he just decided that he was going to graduate school and didn't ask for input from me or anything. And so our life was like that. Forever, the whole time we were married. And at every turn, I tried very hard to please him. And I think that, in looking back, I think that's in part why our marriage fell apart, because I was not ever strong enough to stand up for myself. I often quoted several people and it's a cliche I know but if he said jump I would say yes master how high rather than I don't feel like jumping right now listen to what I have to say so that's hard even at the time when when he finally said you know Irene I don't love you I'm not sure I ever did maybe I adored you but That's not the same thing and it crushed me but I didn't protest I just let him fall for divorce and and in many ways I paid for that as well. I would have done things totally differently now.
1: I think though too that as part of that generation isn't it? Yes. You know and unfortunately women did not have the voice that they have now and and they felt they had to stay in their place per se. Getting toward the story of the personality disorder, did you start to feel that you were, even in your childhood, starting to maybe squelch some of the things that you were feeling, whether it was your childhood or your marriage, so that you wanted to be somebody else. Like, where did that transition happen?
2: You know, I believe that it started at a very, very early age, um, without any knowledge on my part. I just, I discovered that if I buried my feelings and and it would be okay. And even though I had the sense to realize that I had more to offer. I I just felt like I wasn't worthy of sharing the good things about me. I had, uh, our family dog was my constant companion as I was growing up as a little child and he had a very special place in our backyard where he buried his bones and so I mimicked him and I buried my thoughts and my hurts there and there was a part of me that Believe deep down that I was much better than I really showed on the outside. And so I think that's it started then. And then when I graduated high school, I thought, oh, I can now, I think, be myself. And I wasn't certain how that was going to happen. And, but I went, to, I went to college, and I think for the first time, I, I recognized that maybe there was a, a different part of me. Um, I didn't consciously say, okay, this part needs to do that. But I, I began to uh, miss time, kind of like uh, uh, temporary amnesia. Um, and I'm think I would I would think Oh my goodness How did I do that When did I do that um, And I discovered not then not as it was actually happening that um, I must be a better person than I felt like and and even into my marriage I. I also—it's um, not really pretending, but I felt like I had to be a different person if I was going to endure whatever. So, and, and as we talk about my book later, I think I'll—I'll I'll talk about some of the fourteen, fifteen personalities that I had, <laughs> and, and um, they all came to my rescue and um but as I said even as a very young child I thought this I must be better there must be a better part of me and as it turned out there was or there is
1: why don't you share that right now what it was like from your point of view let alone how how did you differentiate between that many personalities then also how to recognize it in somebody else so that's kind of a threefold question and we'll take it piece by piece but let's start with when you started realizing that you well you had more than one personality and how it expanded into several
2: well let me tell you by by the time I was divorced and living um actually with my father-in-law who I loved um, I discovered that it I, I was just hopeless, and I wanted to die, and actually tried to kill myself. Um, I had some guardian angels, and as I said uh, in my book, actually, I ended up at the hospital and not the funeral home where I had hoped to, and had wonderful, wonderful therapists. Um I, I digress for just a minute. A, a multiple personality uh, is one of the rarest mental health uh, illnesses, and, and it's generally women who have this. But I didn't even realize this until one day my therapist, who had been seeing me several months by then, said, I believe you're more than one. And that's how the title of my book came. And she said that she had observed uh, in talking to me that um, she believed that there were several of me at that time. And I could not, I just fell apart. I cried and I thought I wanted to run away from her, her office and just crawl under the tree that was right outside her office window. It's very, very, very hard for people to understand the seeming mood switches. Um, One moment, I'm very uh, competent. One day, I'll just seem to be daydreaming and not able to accomplish anything. As a matter of fact, one of my um, bosses said later, Irene... I observed that you do in one day more than three people can do usually, but the next day you sing to daydream the whole day away. What is wrong with you? And I didn't have the courage at that time to tell her because I thought she would um, say that she had to either let me go very part-time at the job or actually find another job because she couldn't cope with my seeming mood swings. Um, but because I had such an incredible therapist, um, she began to um, talk to my what I, who I named helpers, my alternate personalities. And it's interesting because each one of my helpers, as I named them, had a function, a particular function. Uh, One was a musician, one was a very competent uh, secretary, administrative assistant, uh, one was a very well-liked and good school teacher, and the list goes on. Interestingly, not one of my personalities realized or knew that there were other personalities. Each one of them thought that they were the only ones who had come to my rescue. And as it turned out, I was a whole house full of helpers. And um, But when they were there and helping me, and the Often the phrase is when they come out and take control, um, they totally do what they're supposed to, and I'm to- I am was totally unaware of it. But I developed, because of one of my alters and suggestions, I developed a habit of, in a little black book. Actually, it was a little black book that I kept beside my desk at work. And when one of my alters came to help me, we had convinced them to write down notes about what they did, who they talked to, whatever was important to them. And there I began to discover a little bit about the personalities that had come to help me. And it's very interesting, the the book had different handwritings, um, some were very well-formed uh, sentences, written neatly. Some were scattered notes that made sense only to me. And so, even in that little uh, helpful notebook that I kept for a couple of years, uh, showed how many of me there really was
1: i noticed that you keep referring to them as helpers are there are there not some cases where they are destructive as well or try to be destructive
2: i named them helpers because they when i when they discovered when they thought i needed help they would come to help um, unfortunately in my case some of my helpers were, thought that the best way for me to be helped was to uh, let me die and go to heaven to be with my grandmother because we thought that my grandmother was the only person who ever really and truly loved me. And by that, I desperately needed somebody, I thought, to love me. And so that's why we, I dubbed them my helpers. Each one of them had their own particular function, and they didn't know the function of the other helpers. Um, I had a school teacher. It's very interesting, because at the same time, the helpers were present and doing their thing, I had to be um, the person that people saw on the outside, and it was, it was awkward at times because I couldn't explain at that time why I didn't remember what I had said or done or how I had come up with such a good idea. And it was very, very hard. And my, my therapist was very, very patient. And she said, and she approached it the right way, I would not really become whole until I met and talked to and learned who these different personalities were because the personalities each would talk to my therapist and um, I was never, I wouldn't be present then. So I have a couple, well, three, I think, who are actually male personalities and so they're um Their voice was very male-like. I have a couple. I have a child, and those characteristics came through in their manner of speaking. Um, And one of the problems as we as we made progress toward integrating, excuse me, integrating these personalities into me was that each one of those personalities thought that if they became integrated and therefore a part of me, they would lose their own sense of being. And so in the beginning, they really rebelled and it took expert, long-ranging therapy. One of the things about DID is, first of all, it's very hard to diagnose. Um, for example, I was diagnosed as a couple things. I don't know about the lingo that a lot of people know. Bipolar is one of the things that you hear about on television a lot, um, manic depressive. Um, a couple other things. That, but it, And so it took a long time for the diagnosis to become solid and identifiable. That's one of the things that's so hard about MPD, it's called, um, is that it takes a long time. And there's no real medication that you can take, like for depression or bipolar or whatever, Uh, although medication helps because you do have symptoms like the moodiness and so forth and so on, but the the best treatment is good old talk therapy, but that talk therapy has to be conducted by someone who is expert. Or You just can't go to your neighbor and say, boy, I feel down today. I'm in a bad mood. Can I talk to you? That's definitely
1: not the thing to do. What would somebody do? And what? And- Maybe when they recognize this in somebody else too. Are there any signals or help people to see what's going on?
2: Well, I think that yes, the signal that I've found out from people who have read my book and, and knew me and still know me that oh my goodness, I must have been talking to Michelle or whoever because you just weren't exactly you. Of course. When I finally became so hopeless and so certain that my life as a mother and as a wife and as a a professional worker in several avenues was hopeless, then people recognized right away that I needed help. And of course, like lots and lots of people who need help, I, I went to the hospital kicking and screaming. But I was fortunate, Carol. I was led by competent, caring people to get really good, good therapy. I, there's, there's, some, there's some therapists, and, and even now, it's, even though it's clearing up, there are many therapists who think that DID, it's also called dissociative disorder, Identity disorder is a figment of the doctor's imagination only to make you be dependent upon them. And that's not true. It's not true at all.
1: So considering how difficult it is not only to diagnose but also to treat because of the the length of time, is this often overlooked?
2: Yes. And and, uh, not only overlooked but discarded. And, and they, depend, they tell you just to depend on what I alluded to in a moment ago. Ask a neighbor, just be kind to me. And the problem with that is that you become such a drain on the people who are trying to be your caregivers. The more you try to uh, get to them for help, the more you actually push them away because you're sick. And and people don't realize, and many, many um, diagnoses of mental illness don't recognize it as a sickness. And so they treat you as some horn-growing animal or something, and that's sad.
1: At what point in your life did you feel cured, or are you?
2: No. Well, let me tell you, by the time I... I was finally diagnosed. My therapist, that I had been with for uh, a long time, retired. But I was fortunate to find a doctor whose real, one of her expertise was in um, multiple personalities. And so even though I told her later, she had two and a half strikes against her because I had been so well treated she was exactly what I needed. And one by one she got to know and talk to the different personalities and figure out what their function was in my life and and she treated each one of them as their own person, which is exactly what those personalities needed. As I said earlier, their fear was that if they even thought about being integrated into me, that they would disappear. The whole process of integration is something that is very, very hard to describe. It sounds almost mystical, and it it was a one-on-one meeting with each personality, and And by the time I got to that point, my therapist knew most of them pretty well. And so we just quietly, quietly sat for a long time uh, and took into us ourselves the feeling of what that personality and I had in common, how much we um, were alike how much I depended on that person to actually function in life. We were quiet, and she, my therapist, said, please take in to your inner parts all the good things about, well, Michelle was the first one. She was the first one who became integrated. And and begin to breathe like her and think about her as being totally One with you. It's very difficult to describe, but it was like the dawning of a new day. And I suddenly realized just that Michelle, in this case, was part of me, and that all the things that she had been doing, actually I had been doing, and now I could assume that responsibility and continue to live a fuller life. And that process was repeated for all my personalities. Sometimes there would be one or two, I mean two or three who decided to come because they had to be invited by my therapist to come and talk to me and be introduced to me. The process was not up was not short lived the responsibility that I Irene felt after a long process several weeks months of, of the integration process thinking oh my goodness how did I manage this and I, I said to a very good friend of mine not too long ago oh I wish I could just disappear and let Michelle come and take this and do it and and so I wouldn't have to worry about it. So in the beginning it was joyful but it was also overwhelming as I realized all the things that had been done by me
1: without my knowing. One of the things that I am wondering is are there any available stats that show how prevalent this disorder is?
2: It's it's one of the rarest if not the rarest diagnosis of mental illnesses and it's primarily women.
1: And possibly that's because it's so difficult to diagnose.
2: Exactly and and, and the treatment by its very nature is has to be over a longer period of time. And so, uh, for example, my uncle and aunt said, Why are you still going to therapy? Don't you think that you should just come home and, and, and take up your life? And it just doesn't work that way. But I have to tell you, Carol, that I, the, the process of being one and enjoying a, a contented life and being um, knowing. What I'm doing, and good and bad, is like a miracle.
1: I can imagine. Wow.
2: When I look back at the abuse that I had as a teenager, as a very young child, and abuse of being not only abandoned, but not recognized, just being a, a thing, was awful. And I, I am so grateful that I had treatment and that I think I have become a, a fully integrated person and, and have something important to say
1: most definitely and i as i'm listening to you it's almost like it's shocking and yet you know through tv and movies etc we certainly have been become aware of this but to hear somebody who experienced it and the devastation that you had to go through in many aspects of your life i don't think you can relate to unless you have experienced it and that is very difficult for most people to understand now when do you recognize this ever in somebody else? And are there any signs that people can look for if they think that someone they know may be suffering with this disorder?
2: Uh, I think that it's recognizable when someone seems to be daydreaming excessively. Say, I don't remember doing that. Did we go? When did we go to? The grocery store little signs will come up and and if you're if you're um willing to look if you are a good friend you can recognize it but it's not one of those things like you break your knee or you you stump your toe you know you've got a sore toe it's not easily recognized and that's the problem in the very beginning because it's so hard to diagnose.
1: In your book you share your story. Do you also share some of these things like what help there is out there, what's available and what to look for, etc.?
2: I shared the fact that went into pretty much detail about the expert therapy I had and how that um, helped me become who I was. I was in a hospital that had a team approach to treatment. And so I was privileged to do things like art therapy and dance therapy and um, uh, leather craft, things that I would never have even thought about. But they all helped me to identify how I as a person had suffered because of who I was. Um, not because I chose to be that way, but it was it was life changing. And in my book, I share some of the art that I was privileged to do that gave me pictures uh, that I could look at and explain. Oh, that's that's what it's like. I had a I have a a series of pictures of me. One with I drew a person with no hands. And another time I drew a picture of of a woman who was raising her hands in happiness, you know. So it's possible that through different media in the actual therapeutic setting for you to find um, ways to learn who you are. But still, the most important is talk. Talk and because it's very very hard for the normal person to, even though can recognize it often, to recognize a particular one of your alters or personalities or whatever you want to call it, and that's what I think you have to do in order to begin to heal
1: well i think this was incredibly interesting i am trying to relate and it's it's not easy because we don't necessarily know that many people who may have this disorder but the important thing here, and why I am so glad that you were on the show today, is if you can help, and I know this is your passion, one person, or 10 people, or 100 people with your story, and bring to awareness of what even people close to you might be going through, you have succeeded in their healing and their transformation and it almost not that it makes it worthwhile for what you went through but it certainly helps you to know that you have made an impact on somebody else and gives you some credit for what you did absolutely have to experience in order to be able to do that.
2: One well, of my therapists and I finally just something that makes lots of sense. It's like you look at the picture of a jigsaw puzzle and it's on the front and you think, oh my golly, how lovely and put together and so forth. And you open it and you see all these pieces.
0: And mm-hmm.
2: that's what multiple personalities are somewhat like. Those pers- those pieces have to be put together And it has to. It's not a fasting. It's a slow, patient process.
1: What you're doing is you're giving hope. Absolutely. And that. Oh my goodness. I I'm just thinking of how many people could be helped by hearing your story and getting hope. And probably people realize this more about themselves than they then other people realize about them in other words somebody may be listening that is you know can relate to you and will seek help and that's probably easier than for somebody who to try to figure out what's going on with their friend right
2: that's absolutely true i already have heard from somebody who said i i went to a therapist and you helped me to do that
1: oh it's amazing that makes me happy yes exactly well I thank you Irene for sharing this incredible story and I know that my listeners will want to get your book and and share your book too because I think we all if we think about it know somebody that can be helped. And also that it's a true story. And especially when there's stories of passion such as yours is. And so I thank you so much for going back into your youth and dredging up some of the things that you had to go through and your therapy and the understanding of all these personalities and that there is hope. So title of your book is I Was More Than One. That alone is a terrific summary you were more than one in your journey of how to get to the realization and get to the healing and so I thank you Irene for sharing today I uh, never ever give up hope
2: I, I encourage everybody to feel that way because I didn't and I'm a perfect example